The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Get ready to find your free will from your roots in the stars. Hi, Sue Rose Minahan, Talk Cosmos. Today is Eclipse Day. Earlier, quite a few, it was 3 o'clock in the morning here on the West Coast, we had an eclipse on the globe. That is Gaia, the globe Earth, because it isn't evident everywhere that we live. But eclipses are a regular pattern, and astrology follows patterns. It follows cycles. We have a sun. We're in the month of Leo, and planets revolve around the sun. The sun gives its light, and the time of an eclipse, because of the coordinated orbits, the light goes out for a while. Now, this wasn't particularly a full eclipse. For one reason, it happens to have a number. It's 155 Saros. Saros is a, you spell it S. A-R-O-S, for those people that are not astrologers. It is one of the beginnings of the 71 events that happened within a thousand years. It's a long cycle. And this is about number six. The first one was back in 1928, happened to be June 17th. And I've learned that that's when Amelia Earhart went across the Atlantic. So it, it, it is the beginning, often because of the huge span, we're in the middle, like the lunar eclipse that we had was a total one because it was in the middle of the whole cycle. We're at the beginning. And as it's been pointed out, it's a bit unusual to start at the beginning when you consider the vast amount of time or ending for that matter. So in this case, when it's at the beginning, it's far away from the nodes, and that's of the moon. Again, these are points in space as between the orbits of the moon with the Earth orbit. And if it's within 18 degrees, there's 30 degrees in a house, it is considered an eclipse. And as it approaches closer and closer to those nodes, it would be total, like in the case of the lunar eclipse that had just passed. We are in what we call an eclipse season. It happens to be three in this pattern, which isn't that common, although I believe that the United States was after its July 4th, 1776, in a pattern of three eclipses also. And what significance that is, not sure. There's information that people can follow up on. But for this particular eclipse, it means that there was a certain light that was diminished. So in this conversation today that will touch on various factors, this is just one of the indications of, of it, but because it happens to be on the day of the eclipse, it seems like we need to connect with that energy and discuss it, I have the honor and privilege of introducing Katie Catch, who is a master evolutionary astrologer. 
She holds a master's certification from Stephen Forrest, who has a wide education over many, many years. And she's a member of the apprenticeship program. She's completed 15 intensive trainings with Stephen Forrest. She's studied astrology over 30 years and is an active member of the astrology community. She's the founder of Kara Evolutionary Astrology in Santa Cruz, California. Katie consults. She teaches monthly astrology classes. She writes a blog. And Katie has, Katie Cadge has a PhD in art history, is tenured faculty at Anza College in Cupertino, California. And she can certainly correct me if I said that wrong. I hope not. Since 1999. I am pleased and thrilled to welcome. Hi, Katie. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sue. <laughs> well, I'm so thankful to you and honored to be here. Thank you for letting me join your conversation and to share what wisdom I can. And happy evening following the new moon. As you said, it was early in the morning, um, the solar eclipse. And it's also the Perseids tonight. So it's the meteor oh, showers. So everybody wonderful. should take a look. This weekend, right? And that, and we always have that that idea of the shooting star, falling star, making a wish upon the star, and that, you know, astrologers say that even though it's quite a few hours after the actual new moon, that it continues to be a very good time to set intentions, you know, to make a wish, and um, that to hold in our hearts that you know where it's Leo, so where do we most need to take a risk, you know, in self-expression and what do we need to express to live more fully our evolutionary intention in our chart to express that Leo energy? How can we best do that? And so thank you. Oh, what a wonderful beginning. It totally is the time to consider what moves our heart. What can we let go of? I'm glad to have you just immediately focus on that because every mm. new moon has that intention intensity and this one you know it connects with mars and venus which are the you know mm -hmm. at, at the different nodes it really wants us to be that authentic self mm, exactly and you did such a nice job of summarizing the basic parts about looking at an eclipse and i think you know one of the things to just underscore again as you're saying that you know the moon in this case partially right blocks out the sun and so that it really gives us a chance, which astrologers often say, to reboot, you know, to it's almost like shutting your computer down and starting it back up. You know what? And in this case, the sun, you know, how can we best again, sun being the ruler of Leo, express ourself, our, our inner divine light? You know, how can we put that out to shine for the world? And so often if we look at the history of eclipses, you know, in ancient times, most famous, your audience has probably heard because of last year's big event, there was a lot in the media about, say, the Babylonians and their omens, you know, the fall of the king and so on. But really in the 21st century, perhaps more, since I'm an evolutionary astrologer, more constructive to see good and bad as relative terms. And that these times, you know, most won't feel them necessarily. I mean, eclipses happen every year, 
They're a very common phenomenon. Um, however, for some folks, when they're particularly powerful in the chart, where they may trigger, say, like somebody might have a birthday today or their natal moon or Venus or, you know, that it triggers this um, high energy and that, you know, there's some basic things that people can keep in mind when they see this happening in their chart or they go to an astrologer and they hear about eclipses that, you know, that they might think back, as you mentioned, the Saros cycle or think back many years ago, 19 years ago or so, and, you know, find when the eclipse happened again, the same degree, and are they experiencing similar things? And also to allow a certain breathing space in their life, in their calendar. Um, I have to say this last one recently touched my own chart and I didn't, I chose not to teach summer school. You know, I, uh, as you mentioned, I wear two hats. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, but one correction there, yeah, I teach at De Anza College uh -huh. in Cupertino, and I've been teaching there for over 20 years, tenured faculty. And that, um, you know, I chose to open my calendar uh, to allow whatever might fall, because eclipses are a little bit like wild cards. I mean, some astrologers have expressed that, and, you know, that uh, sometimes they'll, they'll manifest in ways that perhaps we may not have been expecting you know, and that, uh, the energy may be so wired and, uh, cause again, this, you know, the solar energy gets blocked, but then it starts again. And so there's this sense of, um, sometimes kind of an overwhelming quality of the energy in our lives and often sometimes new beginnings, uh, you know, closures to something. And then we start something new, um, well, there so, is those are ideas. Mm -hmm. Sure, go ahead. Tremendous. Sorry. No, it's tremendous. Like a song, it's been referred to. A song ends and the dance goes on, but it's a new beat, a new rhythm. It may not be your genre that you like, but yeah. How do you find that step? Or maybe the partner, it's no longer with a partner, it's individual. So Definitely. It's and in this case, in Leo, and as you mentioned also, um, you know, some of the Mars energy that had been in play, Mars being retrograde, and we can talk about retrogrades later in the program, and also currently out of bounds, you know, high declination, that, um, you know, especially I think for the eclipse back at the end of July, um, which was a lunar eclipse yes. in early Aquarius, uh, that the Mars energy, you know, that's that sense of will or how we put ourselves into action. You know, we think of the, the spiritual warrior, but... Also, how are we presenting our will? How are we finding the courage to act when we may need to maybe in a Mars sense of protection, but also perhaps as fulfilling our, our destiny, which we can get to a little bit later, perhaps, because Leo is so much about being able to express the true self. You know, it's that, again, that divine spark in us that needs to shine. And um, sometimes we tend to water Leo down with various types of stereotypes, partially rooted in truth. You know, there's a statistical bump. We might see, you know, someone that's flamboyant or, you know, we think of the famous actor or Mick Jagger on the stage, all that Leo mm -hmm. energy. But not everybody manifests Leo in that way. I mean, Leo is in everybody's chart yes. and it's much stronger in some charts than others. 
but what is that authentic self-expression? You know, what, again, to get back to, I'm an evolutionary astrologer, so thinking about evolutionary intention of our soul, you know, our soul has come in with a rather complex natal mandala chart, you know, that that's our map. And Leo is going to be very different, yeah, you know, Leo, even, I'm yes. sorry, just one other point oh, real quick, ahead. even something as simple as like a Leo ascendant, you know, somebody perhaps is born with Pluto on that Leo ascendant. And I mean, this is just one little piecemeal, right, of a detail, again, of a much larger chart, but it's going to be a very different ascendant. You know, it has that filter of Pluto over that Leo rising sign. But anyway, I'll, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's so true. <laughs> integration. It is a matter of synthesis and integration. And these factors, uh, because Leo in, in this conversation, the fact that it always refers to uh, the sun, and the sun is our umbrella, you might say, that, that is the, the th everything threads through in some manner. The power of that and the need to, to, to f fulfill, as you've been expressing, is so important. And, mm -hmm. it, and it can tremendously vary depending because people could have nodes in Leo. In fact, there is mm -hmm. the Leo generation. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we refer to it as, which is, happens to be my generation of, of Pluto and Leo. And which house is it? You know, if it's in the first house, it's, it's so dominant. And if it's in the 12th house, it might have more of a collective basis, but not mm -hmm. so evident. So right, mm -hmm. what you say is so true. But yet, what you're uh, uh, urging in a, as a as a realization is the need to find expression for that because it gives pleasure, it gives fulfillment, is that creativity? It's mm -hmm. in some way acknowledgement, like in our earlier conversations, you know, has been mm -hmm. brought up. And yeah, and in your earlier conversations too, like I recall, you know, this this notion of dignity. I mean, we think of, of course, this is the royal sign the lion or lioness, you know, there's a certain grace and dignity to a Leo energy, but that there's also a generosity of spirit and play and childlike quality. I mean, there's this ability to just be in the moment and be undoubtedly oneself, you know, as strongly as one can be. So that, you know, to have the courage to do that too, you know, must move beyond the fear, really, you know, and have faith in self. Um, but I think the generosity of spirit is really important because a Leo, you know, a Leo needs to be heard. You know, a Leo needs to have, as you were saying, the audience, you know, needs to have that, wants to have its affection received. Yes. And so I think we have to always kind of keep that in mind because I'd love to at some point tonight to address sort of the Leo in terms of the polarity with Aquarius, because I, I know we're going well, to lead into current no, issues. It's, no, mm -hmm. it, it's immediate. We could talk about it now, because right now, Uranus is squaring the nodes. And the mm -hmm. south node, which it, which Uranus rules, is in uh, Aquarius, and it happens to be conjunct Mars. So mm -hmm. it, the, the dynamic is, is essentially right there. The polarity is being begged, mm -hmm. you know, for for people to listen to their authentic mm -hmm. self. And again, with those, um, the feminine and the masculine being opposed, it's like the attraction of polarities mm -hmm. may be out, 
um, had its day. It needs to release that. It needs to embrace, mm-hmm. I think, the unity of it. You know, mm-hmm. in this particular uh, um, eclipse, mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, it's like awakening uh, what myth of ourself no longer mm-hmm. lives. So, yes, mm-hmm. I, I'm glad to... Yeah, and I think to help the listeners, um, because there may be, again, some listeners that are less familiar with astrology or the current moment in the sky, uh, but back in May, um, Uranus entered the sign of Taurus, and as a fixed sign, it's square or 90 degree uh, to Leo, Aquarius, this polarity, the two opposing signs that we're discussing, and that Uranus moving into Taurus, you know, Uranus moves very slowly. It's a 84 degree uh, orbit. And so it's been quite a while, you know, since it's been in Taurus. And I, it's also going to be going back into Aries in November for a few months. Um, so this period is just really starting. In fact, it's quite intriguing to look ahead to, which again, this might be jumping ahead to later on in our program, but to the 2020 election year, because it's really going to be strongly squared then, um, the U.S. Uh, uh, nodal axis. But um, which just to get back now. to the basic, right. which it is now, but to right. get back to the basic point, just so everybody's following us, mm-hmm. is that Uranus in Taurus um, is an energy that we think of where there's a possibility of challenges in terms of our resources um uranus is upset it's the you know the planet of revolution and is sometimes like lightning bolts and thunder you know it's difficult to know how uranus is going to manifest sometimes and (laughs) to have it in taurus at a time when we're all i'm really hoping uh, it's the biggest prayer i have every day are waking up to the the reality of global warming and you know, it's one thing to notice that during this period since May and ongoing months that there's been a lot of shifting in our Earth, you know, some of which, of course, is quite natural. The the uh, Pacific Rim, uh, you know, the uh, volcanoes the uh, in uh, Hawaii and, and in Indonesia, the earthquake and so on. But a lot of the two, especially here in California, and I believe in the Northwest where you are, the realities of the fires mm-hmm. that are just hitting us every summer. And so this awakening up, Uranus is also the great awakener, you know, opening our eyes to this is real, you know, and and I think you and I and, and probably most of our listeners are probably already on board with a lot of this. But I think now is the time where it's it's reaching a kind of critical threshold of the awareness really needs to happen. And that also, if we think back in time when Uranus was last in Taurus during the Great Depression, how we had, you know, FDR and the New Deal building infrastructure in our country, because we also think of Uranus as technology in some respects and building, you know, what we need Taurus, you know, in terms of transportation or agricultural projects and so on, you know, the WPA, the support support for the arts tour, you know, yes. Taurus is also ruled by Venus, um, you know, that we're going to perhaps see some of that, we hope, shift, right? But it's also the Great Depression, so we could see some economic challenges, which 
Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not strong personally in predictive astrology. I'm more of an evolutionary astrologer. I believe in looking at the potential of the individual's chart, but you really do have to consider all this mundane astrology to 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 get the best reading you can, and to help see, you know, perhaps like in this case with the new moon in Leo. Because I'm, I'm hoping we could talk about Leo maybe in a few minutes here, um, in its more complex archetype rather than the misconceptions, because not every Leo is going to have that divine spark about social justice or about saving the planet or about again that polarity of thinking. I'm thinking of perhaps the collective in the eleventh house Aquarian sense. Um, some Leos create art because art gives pleasure. It's play. It helps us to be human. Um, there's nothing wrong with art for art's sake. You know, art because we want to play a beautiful symphony or we want to take a picture of a gorgeous sunset. And, you know, there's nothing really wrong with that type of expression of Leo or even the great theater actor, you know, who gets us to cry because we feel pathos. You know, that's, that's all a gift, right, a generosity of spirit that Leo can share. But with that said, I know you have had a couple programs on the Leo archetype. I think there are some Leos today, you know, that perhaps are part of what I like to think of as our program title, you know, in terms of our tree of light, you know, in terms of how are we going to get out of the mess that we're in? We're in a cosmic web of life. How are we going to best serve that? What's our special destiny? How can we express ourself, our divine self, in a way that's unique, that will be heard, that is going to help the changes that need to occur? And so that's what I'm hoping, you know, perhaps we can tie in with that because the Uranus square, I think, is very much about that. And uh, I was thinking, um, if you don't mind me throwing out one other idea, just to help the listener, for instance, like, let's say we had, I'm just making up, I'm making up a chart, a hypothetical chart. Let's say we have a chart of somebody who's born mid nineties, let's say 95, and they have a Leo son in the fifth house. And much of that soul, that soul's intention is to be recognized, you know, existentially for what it has to give and express. It has to have that courage to express its inner heart, its inner flame, its fire, you know, take the initiative, do it, be spontaneous, what makes it that soul unique and be received properly. But let's say this same person you know, this is generational, right, is also born with Neptune and Uranus conjunct in Capricorn in the 11th house, right, which is possible with it mm-hmm. in that type of chart. That's a collective energy. But if we were to look at, and I'm just making this chart up, so I have no idea, you know, where the moon is or other aspects, but perhaps we can see that this person definitely has a creative role to play, you know, and definitely one of fun fifth house, you know, romance probably, and a lot of other fifth house associations that we think of taking risks, gambling. I mean, it's all, you know, that old time association of the fifth house with risks, with gambling. But let's say the aspects and other parts of the chart say this person's also part of that collective movement. And we know that that generation probably like 
other generations in other ways, you know, are going to touch the kind of social change that we need to see take place, you know, like, for instance, in the next election, you know, in 2020 or so on. So I'm just throwing that out there just for food for thought. You know, that that particular Leo expression might be very much about social justice or about economic justice or about changing our society so our planet survives. Um, that's what I hope to spark in people that I meet. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. So. Uh, that's beautiful. Aww, well, you know, just today or yesterday, you touched on quite a few things, but one of them is in Seattle, there's a, uh, an article that says, we've started living climate change, not just studying it, science mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, indeed, you know, it's a global thing. And we, too, also have up here an orca, which I mm-hmm. think internationally has had a lot of effect. And for 16-plus days, this, uh, which is, from what I've read, very unusual, but this mother has been carrying her deceased uh, calf. And that particular pod lives on Chinook. And so the Lumi in native uh, tribe has mm-hmm. found Chinook. But the problem is that the orcas are up in Canada. But it does signify exactly what you're saying about mm-hmm. just reflecting on one terms about this energy that's asking us that we've been discussing, Uranus in Taurus, mm-hmm. that is giving some uh, conflict to our nodes and to ourself individually and collectively. It's that whole axiom, that polarity mm-hmm. that, that's really significant. At this moment, I'm going to give our phone number Mm-hmm. to our audience for anyone to call in if you have questions for mm-hmm. either Katie or myself or if you have any comments that you want to join in with us and then we'll have an announcement and then afterwards if people have called in fine we'll talk with you and mm-hmm. otherwise we'll continue our conversation and that number is 425 425-373-5527 425-373-5527 Thank you. While we take a break from this week's edition of Talk Cosmos, let's take a look at this cycle's archetype. We are currently in the Yang period of Leo, ruled by the solar sun having departed from a cycle based on the internal process of emotional attachments requiring security and safety, the energy of Leo externally manifests our legacy through children and artistic creations. As a fixed yang fire sign that desires to ignite actualization, Leo the lion takes the risk to generously exhibit love and welcome all to share their stage with joyous pleasure for living life. Welcome, this is Amanda Pierce, astrologer and paradigm shifter, and you're listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, where we understand how to implement our free will through the cosmos. Hi again. This is Hi, Sue. (laughs) Very good. It's Katie Cadge with Sue Rose Minahan, and we're going to... Continue on unless somebody calls, and I'll just give that number, 425-373-5527. 
Hi, Katie. Yes, you wanted to talk about... You had... Yeah, if I could just mm-hmm. comment a little bit on your, your previous... Um... Love it. Uh, yeah, your your statement about your honest and Taurus. I think in uh, and also the recognition that the public is making up in the Northwest of this orca mom who, bless her heart, I mean, has been carrying this yes, baby. Such grief. Yes. Yeah, and um, that Taurus is very much about being in the body. You know, it's very much about the simplicity and directness of being an animal, of being part of the larger web of life um, beyond, say, the intellect or let's say Scorpio, which perhaps we can get to a little later with Jupiter, which actually has been squaring, you know, was squaring the recent um, eclipse. But that this simplicity of Taurus to feel with one's body the realities of global warming, you know, to feel also in our hearts, you know, what this mom has been doing. And, you know, I was thinking about this a lot today because I was actually talking to a good friend about this who is from the Northwest and she was suggesting that perhaps this is a kind of ritual that this pod is doing and how powerful it is um, if you don't mind me sharing, it's many years ago, but I lost a child myself at uh, at birth. And it took our culture, our society, many, many years until quite recently to let the mother hold the baby mm-hmm. and to have a, a funeral. And the importance of naming our child, our children, that pass away as young infants or at birth or, you know, and this idea that perhaps this, this pod, you know, I I often think these orcas are smarter than us to tell tell you the truth, you know, and that at the same time, I thought how Leo in a way, because now it'd be more like Leo in the 12th, like you were saying before, (laughs) or Leo in a different house, perhaps, you know, than the fifth, but this idea that she's showing the world, She's demonstrating through a kind of performance, right, about how we need to wake up or be aware. Now, you know, it's very scorpionic because obviously it's this taboo issue of her little baby has died. And I believe this pod has had trouble having children. So it almost has a kind of handmade quality to it. You know, the story of um, that's recently been very popular uh, about thinking about uh, our own fertility, you know, as we destroy our planet. These are kind of rather taboo subjects. So strong, really strongly scorpionic. And again, interesting to think of Jupiter now really one of the only few planets that's going direct, yes. <laughs> you know, um, you know, creating a square um, with uh, the Leo energy and so with Mercury and, and so on. So, you know, this idea that um, perhaps there's more to this ritual of this mother grieving and certainly, again, a, like a kind of witness. Now, I, you know, I know that our listeners probably come from a variety of various faiths or religious background or perhaps no religion at all, perhaps atheists or uh, goddess-centered, uh, but... When I was thinking about this new, new moon, I couldn't help thinking about 
there's a famous quote that I'm sure you've heard of, and I'm sure most listeners have heard from the Christian New Testament, um, St. Matthew, a gospel, um, about how we have this light in us and we're all called to shine. We don't put that light under a bushel, right? We put it on the lampstand for everyone to see because by doing that, now Leo, of course, needs to feel cherished and heard and so wants people to see that light. But in the larger scheme of things, in the larger web of life, it's also about showing these divine gifts that are going to somehow help humanity, right? So that they honor God or a goddess. You know, maybe it's a Buddhist context, right? Where maybe God's within within the self. But it's that idea that by expressing it, we then become part of God or goddess's message, the divine message. And that's where, in some ways, I see some interesting reflections in terms of well, one thing, some of the retrograde motion, which again, we can get into a little bit um, in a few minutes, but um, our program title, because our tree of light, Leo is very much about ego, about ego in a good sense, you know, what makes us unique, what is that spark in us, but it's also our tree of light in perhaps the more Neptune and Pisces sense of we are all part of this bigger picture. And so our special destiny, again, not always, I think sometimes with Leo, it might be again about just pure pleasure, you know, Mick Jagger or Jerry Garcia, another very famous Leo, you know, getting up there on the stage and moving people spiritually through music, you know, um, or again, a beautiful painting. But sometimes that special destiny might reach out to ways where it's tapping into some of those other, again, it would depend on the individual's chart as an evolutionary astrologer. Again, it's seeing the bigger picture of the mandala, right? So looking at the the larger, um, you know, the aspects of the chart and so on, but that how it may somehow, hopefully, I'm really hoping, and again, this is another prayer of mine, that we collectively, right, are able to contribute to change. Um, So you had mentioned earlier in the introduction about, um, you know, I have been a professor for many years in art, in art history. And sometimes people get confused. One of the first things they say is, oh, you must be a painter or you must be an artist. And it's not that. It's So I have a very particular take on creation, on creative expression. And my particular take is actually more towards the fire sign, which is later on in the year when you get to that archetype of Sagittarius, because uh, I think our listeners probably know basic points about a birth chart. I have Sagittarius very high in my chart, so it's on my midheaven. And so it's about experiencing cultural diversity and supporting diverse cultural expression of art Right. And so, again, Leo is not always about that. Leo can take a lot of different forms when the soul is just trying to allow itself to live life fully and to express its heart. But given the state of our planet at this time, I think it is really critical. And I and I thank you, you know, for having me share some of what I hope are, ha- are halfway decent ideas, because this uh, this part about thinking about 
that we all have Leo in our chart. And, and a lot of us, I think, are really called in one way or another, you know, to let that light shine, but perhaps to help us to, to work and lead into an Aquarian age or an age where I've been hesitant to use that term, but, you know, with the polarity of Aquarius, you know, in the sense of the larger collective and, uh, you know, being the outsider, being the rebel, you know, changing our world to make a better world, right? And of course, eclipse is so much about change, right? And on some levels, depending again on how it resonates with a person's chart. Uh, one of the things I hadn't mentioned earlier about eclipses, uh, just real quickly too, is because you had mentioned this a little bit, you know, they come in a series. And so if our listeners are curious, you know, they might again, look at the eclipse we had at the end of, near the end of July, and back earlier in July, you know, for a theme that might have to do perhaps with what's their authentic true self. July and, 12th and July thank 27th. You. 27th, yes. yeah, right. Uh, and, you know, what is their true self? And uh, but again, it would depend on on their natal chart. But um, I just think that's important to think about along with this. But I don't know if you would like to. I, I, I had uh, maybe you have some ideas of how we can continue, but. There's this notion of the program title that I thought was very interesting, kind of touched on that a little bit already, but also thinking about, you know, this retrograde energy. Absolutely. You know, if you would it's like involved to because explore that. In, it yeah. is involved because if you look at an eclipse, we're taking little parts, which of course one does in order to understand, but it is that entire package including us, the entire package, which essentially is when one expresses their their voice, is the whole package. And I really love the idea of your speaking earlier. There's so many things I'd love to talk about. But because, Uh you know, the idea that the diversity of voices through cultures. But I Uh think, Katie, decide whether you want to speak for Capricorn or Sag, because I would love to have you Mm -hmm. back for Sag. But anyway, going back to the retrogrades, we Uh have an enormous amount of planets going retrograde. There's mm-hmm. six, and with Chiron, which Chiron, is dwarf, yeah. would be seven. So mm. really the only ones that aren't is Venus and, 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 and Jupiter. And as it was pointed out once before to me, that Jupiter just came out of a retrograde and mm-hmm. within, uh, whatever, about a month ago, and then uh, uh, Venus in a, a month or so will be going into it. So... But so mm-hmm. retrogrades, as it's pointed out by Rick Levine, very often, who really mm-hmm. needs, bears repeating on this, mm-hmm. retrograde is the closest to Earth at that time, the apparent uh, mm-hmm. from Earth is that it's the closest and it appears to be retrograde. And therefore, it's very loud. The message is loud. And I just mm-hmm. heard him speak on a, a program yesterday, how he was mm-hmm. saying that in ancient times, it was so loud that people would shut it off. They didn't have ways to maybe learn or how to integrate because uh-huh. that's what it's really wanting to do is integrate it. But it's so loud that they turn it off and therefore project that onto other people or onto cir- circumstances. But consciousness now is rising. There's so many more opportunities uh-huh. for people to... So going back to this process of retrograde, those planets uh-huh. are... Uh, Mercury, which happens three times a year. Mars, which happens every two years, and when it does, stays in a sign for seven months, although it's going back to Capricorn from Mm -hmm. Aquarius. 
And then we have Saturn, uh, all the outer planets, from Saturn on out, which is Mm -hmm. uh, Neptune, uh, Uranus. I said that mixed up. It should be Uranus. Mm -hmm. And Pluto. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, there's a couple of things that came to mind as you were talking. Well, one thing, uh, I love Rick. I love some of his <laughs> images. And, you know, he has that Rick Levine, as you were saying, that image, too, that I think really helps the listeners in, in case we have some listeners that are, are new. Though, though, really, most people, I think, in the general public have some awareness, especially around Mercury retrograde at, at this time, thanks to the the renaissance in uh, astrology that's been partly built through social media and online um, right. and we got to thank Uranus for that I suppose yeah online. <laughs> but um, Rick has this image too that I think helps people see of two trains you know moving at different speeds and that sensation that I think just everybody has experienced of one train appearing to move backwards as you're moving ahead and that that is truly what retrograde is about. It's not about an actual backward motion. It's an illusion that's yes, created. Our experience. And, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so thanks to Johannes Kepler in a lot of ways for <laughs> my thoughts about this. But, you know, that uh, the whole retrograde period, I couldn't help thinking how ironic in a way that this new moon in Leo. I mean, of course it's summer and this would be the time to have this Leo new moon, but, um, is happening with the eclipse because of the idea that Leo is so much about play and being spontaneous. And, um, I was thinking about it even in my own chart, you know, I have Leo rules my sixth house. It's, uh, between the fifth and sixth, but it's on the sixth house cusp. And, uh, how much I kind of revel, revel's a great Leo word, you know, (laughs) in being with my class as a teacher and just letting things flow and just being there in the moment and having a kind of childlike enthusiasm, you know, for what I'm doing. And um, the sixth house for our listeners, if they're not aware, is about daily routines and work and service and mentorship. uh, So the student teacher dynamic and, and, and so on. Um, so Leo has that kind of, you know, again, that fire, it's a fire sign, that initiation, that, that, that burst of enthusiasm that we don't think of so much as being reflective, you know, in the brain, right? That it's in the heart. It's letting the heart speak. Whereas retrogrades, despite the often and rightfully so there is some you know statistical bump again where we'll see glitches and things that'll happen during this period but retrogrades are really a time of re right to reevaluate you know return uh restore uh, just reconsider right so it, it it's really more about a time with mercury retrograde a time to kind of think through whatever, you know, 14 degrees Leo, let's say, which I believe it was last night with the eclipse. Uh, Yeah, you know, what that means in our chart, right? And uh, it's not necessarily a quote unquote shy person if we see that in the natal chart. Actually, it's funny because I just recently, just for for fun, I had pulled the chart of Mick Jagger. That's why I mentioned him earlier. 
And I believe his Mercury, well, his Mercury was retrograde. And I think, I believe it was 14 Leo, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting. It's kind of synchronicity, you know, yes. but like, I don't think anyone would ever think of, you know, Mick Jagger as being, you know, a more introverted type. Right. So that Mercury retrograde can often have this great reflective mind, you know? And, uh, so this time to me, just, it just seemed ironic, right? Because again, this thrust of being our true self of just taking the risk, you know, of, of allowing, you know, not being afraid and having faith in the self, but then there's so much about it because again, there are a lot of other planets retrograde, as you're saying, you know, and Mars retrograde too, you know, you know, and these thinking about these planets as ways of, well, what is it actually that I'm trying to express? You know? um, yeah. And so I think that's a, it's fascinating. And, uh, and I think there's a, a definite place for it as there is always, you know, um, for probably all of us. So I would encourage our listeners, you know, if they're wondering about all this, um, you know, to look again, what were these degrees we were mentioning? And you mentioned a bunch earlier in the program and, you know, how do they fall? in your natal chart and uh does any of this resonate with you and again wish upon that falling star you know there are going to be a lot of shooting stars uh tonight you know and and ask the the universe you know where is it that i need to take a risk you know in self-expression as i was saying earlier you know where do i need to just let myself shine you know and i and uh so i want to make sure i you know underscore that for folks that you know, might be saying, well, how can I use this new moon and this time, this eclipse, you know, as productively as I can. I'd also like to make one quick mention, too, because I mentioned that renaissance that's been taking place with astrology. And you and I both, I think, you know, uh, we go back in time. And, you know, I was never a professional astrologer earlier on in my life, but I started doing astrology really quite young and in the day of paper ephemeris and so on and teaching ourselves. And now we're in this time where there's just a wealth of information. And, you know, uh, we have to use a critical, our critical reasoning, of course, increase critical thinking. And, but we're at a time where the, a lot more information is accessible. And so that to tap into that perhaps is, is good, but also to, you know, we are living in a time where we have to be very careful about what we read. So it's very common, for instance, to read about Mercury retrograde only in the negative sense, um, or Mars retrograde, uh, you know, the classic thing, you know, don't have surgery under Mars retrograde because Mars rules knives and, uh, and action and so on. And, uh, but, you know, to like think that, well, that's one way of looking at it, but there's other ways to look at, especially in evolutionary astrology, because evolutionary astrology is really about soul growth. It's really about finding how can we become our most authentic selves, you know, so um, any thoughts on that? Or Well, I do. You know, looking at the whole chart and a few points that have been mentioned, but because mm-hmm. Mercury is conjunct right there with the sun and the moon, I mean, it's within four degrees, which is definitely conjunct. Mm-hmm. And so it's absolutely involved. And though it is retrograde, but it's being squared by, exactly by Jupiter, mm-hmm. which means what? It means that... It's our belief structure. It's looking mm-hmm. at new information that's coming in and information which from a mercurial way, mm-hmm. um, and it can be, it can either, it both gathering 
and also uh, refining that information. Mm-hmm. It's a whole process in itself. Mm-hmm. And in, in a, way, a wonderful way, being in Leo, you can just express, express, just try little things, risk mm-hmm. as it goes. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is in order to feed and create out of that conflict of the square, the 90 degrees square that's, that, mm. that, that's trying to recreate a new belief pattern, a new sense mm-hmm. of, 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 of philosophy. Of Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, my, my primary teacher um, has been Stephen Forrest, and uh, uh, he has this wonderful way of describing Mercury as the omen, you know, and uh, we have to have an open mind with this term omen, you know, I think yes. depending, again, on one's particular background. Um, but omen in the sense that there's ways of seeing or viewing the world like you're like you've been describing in many ways like that perceptions that may come to us in ways that we're not even necessarily anticipating or fully understand you know so that and I, I would I I think I'd be safe to say I would underscore that with Mercury retrograde but this period um and Mars out of bounds, really, because you're thinking about, you know, the rebel spirit, you know, putting and in Aquarius too. action <laughs> in Aquarius, you know, but that, yeah, so that these omens, you know, to be aware and let synchronicity speak to us. Because synchronicity is really very much mercurial yes. in a, many ways. I mean, if we think about it, it's like messages coming in and messages going out and that Mercury is not just about communication you know, that we so often hear, though, it, of course, plays a big role in that. Um, but yeah, like allowing the universe and the world around us speak to us and in Leo to speak to our heart. And, and yeah. Yes. And that actually Uranus, which we've been discussing as emphasis and Jupiter are both very intuitive. In fact, yeah. And going back a little bit to the orca as a as a as a touchstone, that mm-hmm. there is this, you might say, shamanic mm-hmm. way, which we're speaking of, 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 of uh, as a messenger, as, as oh, yes. a statement mm-hmm. of, of also identifying that we're past just what you see is what you get. It's, mm-hmm. it's also like they know in the universe, there's this energy everywhere that we have names for as dark energy mm-hmm. or dark matter that actually mean that what we see is only 5% of the entire universe, which totally mm-hmm. shatters the, 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 the perception. Mm-hmm. And I think in our world, you know, there's, as we discussed earlier in the program, so much tragedy around the exploitation of the planet, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. the master narrative of the settlement of, in our country, the West, and, you know, the exploitation of natural resources and so on. But there's also been, with the rise of, you know, we could take it back, well, we could take it back centuries in time, but I was just thinking of the 19th century, quote-unquote, age of reason, you know, coming out of 18th, 17th century. But this notion that um, ceremony, you know, and ritual uh, has somehow evaporated. You know, we even find that in our churches today. I, I, I hope I'm not offending any listeners, but I have been in various you know services and, and I'm talking all faiths, you know, where there it's purely about community, which is a great thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's about giving each other support through community and through tradition, 
which is, you know, a very strong um, Capricorn notion, which again, we had earlier talked about some of the Cap- Capricorn energy um, that's coming up uh, and, and in play right now, yeah, actually, square. as well as Saturn and Pluto, but uh, that there's somehow a loss of the shamanic element that, um, and with Jupiter and Scorpio, it's such an opportunity for that, you know, to tap in to these types of taboo, whether it's the occult and even the word occult, you know, people cringe when yeah, they hear that. Yeah, which only means change. It's just <laughs> so ridiculous. I mean, it's just being open to perhaps there's something underlying the surface that we are not real completely fully aware or tapped into yet. And that we want to honor those changes. I mean, one of the things that's coming up I wasn't anticipating mentioning this, but since we have a minute here, just kind of throw it out there for food for thought. But, you know, this upcoming um, Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn. In 2020? uh, Yeah. Well, in 2020, I think by the time of the election in 2020, it it, it pulls away from an an exact conjunction. But Saturn is still in... I think um, it's January 11th. mm, Okay. And again, it's like, you know, we could look up the date later but it's just that i was just thinking about like these two archetypes coming together and then how often in the past there are you know rick tarnas and historic uh, richard tarnas excuse me um and has spoken you know in cosmos and psyche about you know some of the the kind of vast periods of history where there's been a kind of there's certainly political structures that rise and fall, but also a kind of shift in whatever we see collectively. And again, there's so many cultures around the world and so many, our world is a very diverse planet, but the notion of a need for faith, you know, and how swings of say the entrance of say, and of course this, we're living in a time when Neptune's in Pisces as well, but this, these times when various faiths, have arisen. And today, often there's a lot of, and rightfully so, but a lot of questioning about because there's been so much of a history of the problems with institutional religion. But I think to heal the planet and also to heal ourselves as collect collectively and humanity is we need to be able to tap into that scorpionic energy that you were mentioning. Yes. We need to be able to have ceremony and ritual like that orca and whale you Katie, know we need right. to honor yep. that and you know. it, we only have a couple of minutes i think this is okay. a great place to comment that emphasis and i will say that i'll go back to the idea that you had just mentioned about using this new moon to connect with one's heart and also oh, to allow yes. that spontaneity as you often have said that's always going to mm-hmm. stay in my mind i love it of of actually letting the synchro- synchronicity of the moment and you know to allow mm-hmm. so next week we will have Catherine Zumstein she is from Maine and she's spoken before I think it was on June 2nd and she'll be finishing up the Leo and tonight we've had Katie Cadge Katie tell me and then we'll have to sign off your mm-hmm. the name of your uh, wonderful Kara evolutionary astrology, which I just said, mm-hmm. but go ahead and say it and then we'll say good night. 
CaraEvolutionaryAstrology.com. Wonderful. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We look thank forward. Thank you, Sue. <laughs> it's been great. Blessings so, to you. All right. We'll see you again. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 6 p.m. to continue finding your roots in the stars. Preceding audio was via a Skype call.